You're listening to the Bay Christian Family Church Podcast. Praise God as you see that open your Bible at Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16 verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Underline Son of Man. So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And so Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, under the, underline the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Now the word blessed is not something you just say when someone sneezes. It's also not just, you know, a religious thing that you learn as part of your Christianese, bless you, brother, bless you, bless you, hallelujah, bless you. The word bless, as originally used by God the very first time in Genesis chapter 1, is after he had created man in his image, the word of God says that he blessed them saying. And then in that release, he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and take dominion. In other words, what I've created you to be in my image I then empower you to fulfill that by a spoken word. Remember, God upholds all things by the word of His power. Everything God did, all of creation, He spoke that word. We've just got through the study of the integrity of God's word. What do we mean by that? It means the very fact that God spoke something, it is established for eternity. God does not change. He doesn't say, I made a mistake when I said, or times have changed, so now I have to change what I say. No, when God has spoken, it is an eternal word. Not only that, He upholds His word higher than His own name, and He personally watches over His word to perform it. Why? Because He says, I send my word with intent. He says, that word will prosper for the thing that I sent it for. Every word he sends has purpose behind it. He sent his word to heal and to deliver. That means that word will go out and it will do what he said for it to do. That's why it's very, very particular about what he says and then instructs us to do the same thing. And Jesus said the same way when he spoke and the tree obeyed him, the disciples were amazed by that. And he said, hang on now, if you speak to this mountain and tell it to be removed and cause it to see, and don't doubt in your heart, but believe the things you say will come to pass, you will have what you say. What's he saying? This is a word creation. It's sustained by words, and you're given the same authority to speak those words. And so when God creates something to be, that 
potential is within that person, that creature, that thing, that whatever God has designed, it is then released in his spoken word to fulfill that potential. So man created in the image of God will stay just a man in the flesh until God speaks and says, now that which I've created you to be, go do that. And in the speaking of the word, you're empowered to fulfill that potential. That is the blessing. That's the blessing. That's why it is important what we say to others. Parents, it's very important how we address our children because we can stunt God's potential by speaking words against what He has said. You always want to speak what He has said and decree His will and purpose in the lives of anybody we talk to. Hallelujah. So what Jesus is saying here isn't just, you know, Peter, be happy. He is saying, you have just been empowered through a statement you just made. You made a statement, and as a result of that, you are now blessed. And watch how Father's blessing goes. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Up to this moment, they've only heard Jesus speak. Now, they were aware that Jesus would go off at times when they were looking for him, and he would spend hours praying with his Father. And remember, he said things like, I don't do anything unless I've seen my Father do it. And he would say things like, I don't say anything unless I've heard my Father say it. And now, they, they were hearing these things, but it didn't mean anything to them. And yet, Yah is a disciple, Peter, who for the first time has heard from heaven. And Jesus says, as a result of that, you are now blessed. Now, what has this caused? He says, Yah, flesh and blood's not revealed this to you. My Father's in heaven. And I also say to you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. I will build my church. I remember a time when Janine and I had planted this church and we were doing this thing for God and, and it was working. And of course, we were obeying Him. Church was growing. But we reached a point where it almost seemed to plateau. We were trusting God for salvations, for the church to grow and to increase because Jesus said, go make disciples. That's the primary instruction to any church. That's the foundation of all of us, every believer is whatever you call to do, the primary purpose behind it is to get someone more saved. Reach the next person. Hallelujah. You and I are blessed in that we're going to heaven, but that's not the reason we're still here. The reason we're still here is to lead others to Jesus. Say amen. amen. And so uh, when we reached this plateau and kind of uh, we, we, I saw we were wheel spinning, I went to the Lord and said, Lord, you said build a church and so... Uh, we, we're part of that, and we, I want to know what, where is it, what am I missing? And I spent a few days in prayer and interceding, listening for the Holy Spirit. And then I came across this portion of Scripture, and as I was reading it, I was going down through the verses just as we have been reading. And then we got to there to verse 18. 
And I was just reading it in, my, in the spirit. I, was, you know, I wasn't reading out loud in my mind, if you can understand that. And, but you can imagine this is happening in my mind. Now, I'm going to say it out loud, but this is what's happening in my mind. I got down to verse 18 and I read, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. And it was so emphatic that it stopped me because that happened inside of me. Now, that's not something you just decide to do on your own. I whoa. So I went back, did a little rewind, and I went and read it again. And sure enough, as I got there, and I will build my church. I did it a third time. And I got it again. He was quite emphatic. I will build my church. And I stopped and I thought, Jesus, what are you saying? Because that is very much, that, that, that's not something I just make up. And it just rose up in my spirit, is that I realized I was building this church for God. We've used this. I will work for you. I'm, I'm doing this for you, Lord. But he never asked me to build his church. He said, he will build his church. Now he will work in us and through us. But he is so adamant and so protective and so much loves that he died for his church, paid the price with his blood, and he has made the choice that he's not even going to leave it up to someone else. Even when he leaves, he still said he will still be the one building his church. The Word of God, when that suddenly it opened up to me and so many other scriptures came to life, there's the, the one that we all should know. And he says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. So you can build. And you think you're doing it for God and in the name of God and everything you do is for God and you can give Him all the glory. But if you're making the decisions, it's a work of vain labor. He said He would build His church. Amen. And it was only years later, this happened before. How many of you have been in Bible college? You, you studied where Pastor Theo talks about, Apostle Theo talks about the this price of a decision. And when Jesus told him, give me back my church. That, this happened before that. So that was a confirmation because that's something that we have to all be aware of when we pastor the church. Um, there are people that do things in the flesh for their own selfish reasons and they do it for their own purposes and that. I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about we can get so busy working for God, we miss the one who's actually wanting to do the work. He wants us to be in heaven more than we want to be there. The proof of that is he died before we even sinned to pay the price for the sin that we would still commit. Hallelujah. He wants to build his church more than we want to. Why? It's his idea. It's his church. And so when we understand that, then you can realize there's a lot happening out there in the world that is not of God. And I don't want to be caught up in my own flesh 
and stand there one day in front of Jesus and say, look at everything I've done, hallelujah. And he looks and says, I didn't ask you to do one of those things. Yeah, but look at all of that and look at all of this. Look at all the people that were saved. Yep, they're in heaven. You'll accept anyone. If they confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, he'll accept them in. But doesn't mean you did what I called you to do. Remember last week we learned how, he said, the previous week, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things I tell you? So if he's Lord, he is the one that should be instructing us. And so Jesus has taken it personally that he will build his church. Now he has the advantage of letting him do it. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. See, when God calls you to do something, I don't care if it's in the middle of a desert, He will provide the need. I don't understand. I'm doing all of this for God and it just seems we don't meet the needs and people keep doing this and people leave and people and it's not the people, the people, the people. That's the problem. You're relying on people. Because if God called it, He will build it. And if He's building it, He will make sure the people are there because the, the people are the church. You and I are the church. He will make sure that He has people around that will be part of that vision. He will make sure it's provided for. If He's called it, He will pay for it. You never have to worry about paying for something if He's called it to be. And then also there's no more sweat. The day when I heard that I will build my church and I came to this revelation, I released, I said, forgive me, Jesus. From this day on, this is your church and you build your church. And whatever you need me to do, I will do it. And if I don't hear from you, I'm not doing anything. So no one can accuse me of laziness anymore because I'm not moving until I hear. But when I do hear, then I'm obligated to obey. Then I must be quick to move. And I've learned to do that. I've learned to be ready to obey, but also confident enough in His Word to rest. If He hasn't said anything, I'm not about to make up my own way forward. But then I am obligated to be listening to be listening, because he may give an instruction, and if I'm not listening for it, I could miss that as well. So what am I saying through all of this? He is building his church, and he's just told Peter something, yeah, very interesting. It's based on what you've just heard. Based on what you've just heard. And if you take to heart what you've just heard, even hell itself cannot stop you. And in the knowledge that what you have received, verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. That's not mean you get the keys for the front gates, the pearly gates where the angels are waiting. That's not what he's talking about. The kingdom of heaven is God's authority, God's system the way God operates, the whole way God's life exists and the way He rules. And He says, I'm going to give you the keys, the insights, the ability, the understanding to operate the kingdom at that level. How can I say that? Whatever you bind on earth 
will be bound in heaven. Whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What's he saying? If you stay at this level of understanding, then literally heaven will back you up. You can operate on the earth as if you were operating in heaven. Hallelujah. How many would like to learn that? How many would like to operate at that level? How many would operate at a heaven level on the earth? And then he says, verse 20, Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. Now you would think, up to that moment, everything you hear about Jesus is he is the Son of Man. Everywhere he went, everything he did, everything he taught was as the Son of Man. He never told anybody he's God. You would think at a revelation at this level, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says, blessed, you're empowered. You've received something that'll I can build my church on the knowledge that I have people like you that believe this. How won't stop it. You can speak, heaven will respond. But don't tell anyone. What? That's an interesting statement. Why would Jesus say, You've got the key that opens up heaven into earth. But I'm telling you not to tell anyone. Is that a good question? Would that be something to investigate? Well, what did Jesus say? Tell no one that he was Jesus... Read it. Read it with me. Verse 20. Ready? Read. He commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was? Jesus who? Jesus who? Who? Not Jesus Christ. Don't tell anyone I'm Jesus Christ. He said, don't tell anyone I'm Jesus Christ. The Christ. See, religiously, a lot of people have come to the understanding or the feeling or the interpretation or the conclusion that Christ is kind of Jesus' surname. Jesus Christ. Do you believe in Jesus? Yes. Do you believe in Christ? Yes. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Yes. Thinking all those terms were the same. Jesus is not equivalent to Christ in the word. They do not mean the same thing. In the Hebrew, Jesus, the root word Yeshua, means Savior. Now last week we learned about, last time we learned where when you say Jesus, is Jesus your Savior? 
people would say, amen. And then I asked, is Jesus your Lord? Those same people said, amen. And then I had to say, those are not the same questions. Because Savior is based on His grace. For by grace you are saved. How? By faith. It's not of your works. It's a gift of God. So works does not earn salvation. And again, thank you, Jesus. Every time I say that, I have to just pause and say thank you. Because I know where I would be if I had to work my way into heaven. And you say amen. It just wouldn't happen. So by grace you're saved. How? By faith. There's, there's no work involved other than saying, I believe. That's your Savior. But for him to be Lord, he says, why do you call me Lord and not do the things I command? So Lord does require work. It's obedience. He gives instructions. I obey it. That proves he's Lord. I, 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 I cannot call him Lord if he gives me an instruction and I still do my own thing. He may be Savior, but not yet Lord. So Savior is instantaneous the moment you believe and confess. Lord is a progress of growth. Now, for the same reason, the word Jesus is the word means Savior. Christ is not his surname. We see uh, it's capitalized because we know we're talking about Jesus. There's a reason for that. Peter said, you are the Christ. He didn't say you are Christ. You are the Christ. Now we're reading that from a religious perspective. You read what's in the Bible and it's very often most if you look at the church worldwide, would say that that's identifying Jesus as Christ and that's who he is, the son of the living God. Christ and son of God are also not interchangeable terms. The word Christ used here is the Greek word as written in Strong's Concordance, it's the number G5547 for those that want to go and study it and look it up. G5547. It is the Greek word Christos. Christos. So you can say C-H-R-I-S-T-O-S. Now the word Christos in its Greek form, if you, if you are speaking Greek and you said Christos or Christos, I'm, I'm not Greek, so I just read what I see on page. So forgive the pronunciation if you are Greek. But if I was speaking Greek and I threw the word Christos in there, you wouldn't hear Christ. Your Greek ear would hear the anointed one. So Christ is a Greek word. It's not an English word. In fact, you can go and have a look here in John chapter 1, verse 41. Andrew, that's Peter's brother, had be, he had been introduced to Jesus and he went to go and tell Simon Peter. And he says in verse 41, John chapter 1, verse 41, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah. Now notice they put in brackets which is translated the Christ. 
Now, Andrew didn't say that. He didn't say, we have found the Messiah, which was translated Christ. He didn't do that. That brackets was put in there by the translator. He said, we found the Messiah. Why? Because he was talking in Hebrew. And the Hebrew word, in, which is used mainly in the Old Testament, is the Strong's number H4899. 4899, which is the Hebrew word Masiah. Masiah. M-A-S-I-Y-A-H. With the doliki on the A and the underclickity on the S and the, <laughs> the dot and the under the H. So... <laughs> Those are all just ways of pronouncing, so, but you know, if you're writing it down. So the word Messiah, or Masa, or Messiah, Messiah, we say Messiah, in the original Hebrew form means to pour over. Imagine oil, pouring oil over the head, then to smear that oil all over, to rub it all over. In other words, you cover whatever you're covering. It's not just pour it so it runs over some part. You wanna make sure every part of that being is covered with that oil. Poured over, smeared all over, rubbed all over till if you touch that person, you're gonna touch oil. And that is the word that, that action of pouring, rubbing all over, smearing all over is called anointed. When you've done that to someone, taken oil and poured it all over, rubbed it all over, rubbed it in everywhere you can find, that person is now anointed. And if they're anointed, they are called an anointed one. It's like if I threw water on you, you're now a wet one. So when you had oil rubbed all over you, you are now an anointed one. That word anointed one in the Hebrew is Messiah or Messiah, the way we say it. So if you're speaking Hebrew, you would say he is the rubbed all over, poured all over, rubbed in, covered one. But you would use the Hebrew word, he is Messiah. So the word Messiah means anointed one. So when Andrew said, we found the Messiah, he was saying we found the, we found the anointed one. In Hebrew, that's what he was saying. But now the New Testament is written in Greek. So the Greek writer wrote this, we have found the Christos. And the Greek didn't hear Christ, he heard the anointed one. So when he says, we have found the Messiah, I've used the Hebrew word, and because I'm writing Greek to the Greeks, I put in brackets, which is translated Christos. Then when you translate it into English, we should have said, he first found brother, his own brother Simon and said to him, we found the Messiah, which is translated from the Greek Christ, which is the anointed one. 
Because if we're speaking English, speak English. Now, why they didn't translate it all the way through to English, we won't ever know. But what happens is very often we lose revelation because we religiousize words. It's one of the reasons why, like for example, baptism, we have so much trouble over. Small wars have been fought over the word baptism. But when you speak in Greek, baptizo is not confusing to a Greek person. Baptizo literally means to immerse or to dunk. Have you ever dunked an Omar? Your rusk. Come on, how, how have you ever dunked a rusk? Now, if you were Greek, you would say, I baptizo my rusk. Are you with me? It's, it's not confusing. You baptized your friend. You, but you see, we made baptize a religious. Woo no, you. every time you put a rusk in, you baptizo. And you, now, when you baptizo your rusk, why are you baptizoing it? Because you want it filled with coffee, isn't that right? You don't take your coffee and, and, and sprinkle it on your rusk. Isn't that right? You don't take a handful of coffee and pour it on the top of the rusk. You baptizo it because I want this thing full of coffee. So when it's time for you to be baptizo, that means underwater. Why? We want you covered, filled. Can you see how you can lose a truth in translation? Apostle. <gasps> apostle. Who called you an apostle? Go back to the Greek. The Greek apostle means sent one. Amen. When I sent my kid to go buy something at the shop, he was apostolos. A sent one. Can you see what I'm saying? So when you come back to Christ, we have to understand it means the anointed one. And why is he the anointed one? Because he has the anointing on him, all over him, covered over him, smeared all over him. So as you study, every time you see Christ, don't just think Jesus. He is the Christ, but he's the anointed one and the anointing. If you start to see that, you can start to interpret scriptures and you'll see something in it that you never saw before. I can do all things through translate and meditate. I can do all things through the anointed one. But more than that, if you have the anointed one, you have the anointing. I can do all things through the anointing of the anointed one. That anointing is what strengthens me. Oh, come on, give Jesus praise if you've got a hold of that. 
Christ in you. The hope of glory. What's glory? Manifested presence of God. Full demonstration of God's power. What's hope? An earnest expectation. An earnest, intense expectation of the manifested power of God. How can I expect to see God move powerfully? It is the anointed one in me, the anointing, the, through the anointed one, there's an earnest expectation of God's glorious presence. Come on, give Him praise if you got a hold of that. So from now on, we need to analyze the word Christ every time. You'll pick it up. Is this talking about the person, the anointed one, which already comes with the anointing? If we're not talking about a person, particularly, talk, well, let's rephrase that. We're not talking about Jesus, the person, because the anointed one, you'll find, I just want to put this here and then we'll study it. Because the presence of the anointed one is the Holy Spirit. So I want to be very cautious about calling it an it. Still he. But I want to identify the different he. Remember Acts 10, 38? How God anointed Jesus. That's the man. Jesus of Nazareth. With the Holy Spirit. So the presence of the Holy Spirit is that anointing. So understand the anointing isn't just, it's not a thing. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit. What I am saying is, as you read it, when you see Christ, don't automatically interpret it's Jesus. Now, it's because of Jesus. He's the one that brings it into our lives. But you need to discern, is this talking about the person, Jesus, or is it the anointing that's on his life that now is in my life? That's, we're going to work through the Word to determine how to do that. Because you'll find the Bible will come alive. Why is this so important? Have a look at Isaiah chapter 10. Now the word Christos, the word Christ, appears in the King James Version of the New Testament, because obviously different translations may put it differently. But the King James Version, it appears 555 times. You can see how important the term is. Isaiah 10 verse 27. Now this is from the King James Version. It shall come to pass in that day. Everybody say, praise God that day is here. Praise God that, day is here. that his burden, the enemy's burden, Satan's burden, will be taken away from off your shoulder and his yoke off your neck and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. His yoke shall be, shall be? That's important because I've heard people say the anointing breaks the yoke. The thing with breaking, you can put it back together. If you imagine a, of a vase that you drop on the ground. It can break into pieces. You get some super glue, whatever, you can put that thing back together and maybe still use it as a vase with some character. 
But destroy means you find yourself a four-pound hammer, a metal hammer, you know, the big things, and you take that vase, drop it on the ground, now it's broken. But the yoke will take that hammer, the, the anointing, and you smash every single piece until it's powder. Now put that back together. That thing is now destroyed. The anointing destroys the yoke. You see, some people may be able to get rid of pressure for the day. You might be able to say, get over it, just get done. And you, and you might get the, the, the yoke off your neck. But as long as the enemy's still got that chain, as long as he's still got the hand on that yoke, he can put it back together and tomorrow get it back on your neck again. But when you have Christ in your life, when the anointed one and his anointing enters your life, that anointing destroys the yoke. There is nothing left for the enemy to put back on your neck. It is totally destroyed. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. If anyone is, translate and meditate. If you are in the anointed one, his anointing, then you are a new creation. Old things are destroyed. And all things become new. All things become new. All things become new. Family, I don't care what anybody told you BC before Christ. They may have told you, you're no good, you're broken, you, you never amount to anything, you're a misery, you're a horrible person, you, whatever it was, whatever anybody cursed you with. The day you gave your life to Jesus Christ, the anointed one, the anointing removed and destroyed every evil curse, everything vile, anything brought down through the family history, whatever might have been introduced into your DNA, whatever tried to break you, anything under the curse was annihilated and destroyed because of the anointing. You're a new creature. Now you let Him build His church. Let Him build His character, His nature in you. Hallelujah. 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 Colossians 1.27 is what I quoted just now. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Listen to that. God will to make known. He wants this world to know who He is. He's not just talking about a dead religion with 10 people sitting in the pew singing some old dusty songs and going out and saying, Jesus loves you and turn or burn and try and get someone to come to church. Thank God whoever gets saved through that still gets to go to heaven. Praise God. God still managed to work through that. But God wants this world to know that He is a God who has not only saved you to get to heaven, but has destroyed the curse and everything it brings against mankind. 
to redeem man, to enjoy life that he created, to enjoy that life abundantly. And he's given us the privilege to make it known. What are the riches of this glory? What is it that makes God God? Why is he God? Who is this God? What is he capable of? What will he do? What's he going to do in your life? How do we manifest the true nature of God? It's through understanding Christ, the anointing of the anointed one that gives you the earnest, heartfelt expectation of this manifest presence of God. I don't pray for someone hoping they will be healed. I fully expect it. How can I fully expect it? Because I know the anointed one. And that anointing, his anointing, dwells in me. When you're aware of that, you rise to that whole nother level. Hallelujah. 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 Now you can start this week. Just start reading through your Bible. Every time you see the word Christ, translate and meditate. But we're going to take time to find out what that means. What makes us different? There's many religions out there. What sets the true apart? Why are we the true? And even in the realm of Christianity, what makes it different to just simply a religion you attend every Sunday. We can discover the power of this anointing. Are you looking forward to the study? Amen. Come on, give Jesus praise for His Word today. Let's stand together. Raise your hand to the Lord and say this with me. Today I've heard the Word of God. That Word brought faith to my heart. And I am a believer, not a doubter. As the hearer of God's word, I'm also a doer. From this day on, I understand Christ is the anointed one, His anointing. And I understand that Christ dwells within me. He is the Christ. And now Christ lives in me. I am part of the body of Christ, the body of the anointed one. And if I'm part of the body of the anointed one, that anointing comes with the anointed one, must be in me. I have that full power of God within my life. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God.